Good morning, everybody. It's great to see you. Can you believe it? We are in Advent. I cannot believe it. It is November, and it is the first week of Advent. So, over the next four weeks, we'd like to invite you all to join us as we journey towards Christmas together and celebrate the coming of Jesus. And each Sunday this Advent, we've lined up some wonderful speakers who'll be looking at the different themes of Advent through our Advent series, The Gift of Christmas. Now, literally, Advent means coming. And Advent marks the beginning of the church year and is really a time of preparation, a time when we anticipate the coming of the King. Advent is the season when we look forward to the birth of Jesus and look forward to celebrating Christmas. But Advent is also a time of anticipation in the knowledge that Jesus is coming again. But in between the incarnation and the renewal of creation, we find ourselves in this place of waiting. And Advent is all about waiting. And as we find ourselves fast approaching the shortest day of the year, much of that waiting is done in darkness. And this morning, I want to look at waiting in the darkness for the gift of Christmas. So let's pray. Lord, we welcome your presence here. We welcome you in our hearts again this morning. We welcome you in our nation and in our world. We need you, Lord. The world needs you. As we approach Advent, will you fall afresh on our places, on our communities, on our friends and our loved ones? Will you fall afresh on our areas where there's war and, and chaos? Would you fall afresh, Lord? Would you speak as you always speak to us this morning? Come, Holy Spirit. We welcome you. Amen. So if you've got a Bible, turn with me to Isaiah 9. We'll start in verse 2 and then go on to verse 6. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Now flip on a few chapters to Isaiah 45, starting in verse 3, on to verse 6. I will give you hidden treasures, riches stored in secret places, so that you may know that I am the Lord, the God of Israel, who summons you by name, so that from the rising of the sun to the place of its setting, 
People may know there is none besides me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. I form the light and create darkness. I bring prosperity and create disaster. I, the Lord, do all these things. Very often, when we think of darkness, we think of things being covered, we think of things being hopeless, we think of uncertainty and confusion, and maybe even death. And it might seem odd to think that darkness reveals anything. But, just as light doesn't always equate to something good, darkness doesn't always have to mean something bad. Light can blind instead of exposing, and darkness can reveal some things that the light might conceal. While it may not always feel like it's a good thing, it is important for us to consider how darkness might be beneficial in, a, in our relationship with God, and how waiting in and through the darkness may even deepen our relationship with the one who dwells in thick darkness. Darkness, from our perspective, has, a few, has few redeeming qualities to it. We can't see where we're going. We find ourselves at odds with our environment. We can feel lost or disorientated, often just overwhelmed by the nature of darkness. But not all darkness is bad. Think of a seed buried in the darkness of earth, it's in this place of seeming death, but the seed actually germinates and sprouts to life. Or think of a baby in the womb. It is in this dark, watery place that new life forms and grows, awaiting birth. Psalm 139, 11 to 13 says it like this. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day. For darkness is as light to you. For you created my innermost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. In Hebrew, there are apparently two main words for darkness. The first one, like in English, implies physical darkness or an absence of light but it's also used figuratively to represent something hidden, obscure, or chaotic. The second one is often translated as thick darkness or a dark cloud. What's interesting is that in many of the biblical verses that describe the place where God dwells, both Hebrew words for darkness get used. Here's an example, Exodus 20, verse 21. The people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. Deuteronomy 4, 11 to 12. You came near and stood at the foot of the mountain while it blazed with fire to the very heavens with black clouds and deep darkness. Then the Lord spoke to you out of the fire. You heard the sound of words but saw no form. There was only a voice. 2 Samuel 22, 10-12. He parted the heavens and came down. Dark clouds were under his feet. He mounted the cherubim and flew. He soared on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his canopy around him, the dark rain clouds of the sky. 1 Kings 8, 
When the priests withdrew from the holy place, the cloud filled the temple of the Lord, and the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled this temple. Then Solomon said, The Lord has said that he would dwell in a dark cloud. So if darkness can be a place where God dwells, what might finding ourselves in darkness, what might finding ourselves in a dark place reveal? Maybe you are here this morning, and despite the fact that we're fast approaching the season to be jolly, you're feeling anything but. Maybe you're struggling with a few things. Maybe you're going through your own dark night of the soul. Maybe you are grieving. And so as we think about waiting in the darkness for the gift of Christmas and what that darkness may reveal, let's first consider the night sky. If you can cast your minds back to the height of summer when the warm sun was shining brightly, beautiful as it was, the sun was shining brightly, the real depths of heavens are hidden from view. And it's only when the sun sets and the beautiful blue sky fades to black, and the multitude of stars, planets, and galaxies that all exist far beyond the Earth's atmosphere become visible to the Earth. The moon, which is rarely seen in the daylight, suddenly takes on a whole new meaning and lights up the night sky. Without darkness, we'd never get to see the stars, planets, galaxies that filled the sky. In the natural, it's actually the darkness that reveals the depths of the heavens. Might it be possible that what is true in the natural is also true in the spiritual? When we read the scriptures, one of the things we see over and over is that perhaps some of the most profound spiritual encounters with God actually take place when things are looking pretty dark. Think about Abraham in Genesis 15, 5 to 6. God meets with Abraham, and this is what he says. He took him outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. So here's Abraham, as he was at that point, at a real low point in his life, desperate for a child, and yet with no possibility of having any offspring. And God does what? He takes him outside at night into the darkness. And there in the dark of the night, when things are looking so very bleak, God makes this promise that will not only change Abram's life, but would alter the very course of history itself. A promise that comes in the very depths of darkness. There's a second thing that we might consider as we think about waiting in the darkness for the gift of Christmas and what that darkness may reveal. And that is that darkness comes before light. And have a look at Genesis 1, 1 to 4. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. 
And God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. In the beginning, there was darkness. And it was in that darkness that the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. It was out of darkness that the light came. Darkness comes before light. Even the Genesis account of a day begins in the evening with darkness and then light emerges in the morning sun. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. And it's the same with the biblical accounts of redemption. In all biblical stories of redemption, darkness precedes light. The Exodus narrative, as a perfect illustration of all redemption accounts, paints a picture and is in many ways a prophetic foreshadowing of what is yet to come. As Moses pleads with Pharaoh to release the Israelites from slavery in Egypt, God sends plagues of judgment on Pharaoh for his mistreatment of the Israelites. And in the eighth plague, the locusts come, Exodus 10, 4-5. If you refuse to let them go, I will bring locusts into your country tomorrow. They'll cover the face of the ground so that it cannot be seen. And then comes the ninth plague, Exodus 10, 21-23. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand towards the sky so that darkness spreads over Egypt, darkness that can be felt. So Moses stretched out his hands toward the sky, and total darkness covered all Egypt for three days. No one could see anyone else or move about for three days, yet all the Israelites had a light in the places where they lived. And then comes the final, most devastating plague, Exodus 11:4-5. So Moses said, this is what the Lord says. About midnight I will go throughout Egypt, Every firstborn son in Egypt will die, from the firstborn son of Pharaoh, who sits on the throne, to the firstborn son of the female slave, who is at her hand mill, and all the firstborn of all the cattle as well. And while all these plagues unleashed on Egypt are still so difficult for us to comprehend and come to terms with, They point towards the redemption of the world yet to come in and through the death and resurrection of Jesus. As Jesus is crucified, Matthew 27, 45 tells us, from noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. Darkness falls upon the land for the three hours, mirroring the three last plagues of darkness in Egypt before the redemption of Israel. And that darkness remained, figuratively speaking, for three days and nights, that Jesus was in the darkness of the tomb. And when the women went to the tomb, it was dark. But with the morning light, Jesus appears to Mary and the others, the mark of a new dawn, a new day, as Jesus overcomes even death itself and redeems and restores all those who believe. Once again... Darkness precedes light. There's a song that is sung on the first night of the Passover called It Comes to Pass at Midnight. And it serves to remind the Jewish people of all that happened to them and of how God time and time again has rescued and redeemed them 
often when things were looking the most desperate in the depths of the darkest hour of their need. It happened at midnight. Of old, most of the wonders you did perform at night. At the head of the watchers is this very night. Full victory came to Abraham when he divided his company that night. It happened at midnight. You judged the king of Jerea in a dream at night. You frightened Laban in the mist of the night. And Israel wrestled with God and prevailed at night. You struck down the firstborn of Egypt at midnight and terrified Midian with a loaf of bread and a dream at night. The armies of Sisera you swept away by the stars at night. And the Syrian armies besieging Jerusalem were stricken at night. Baal and his pedestal were overthrown in the darkest of the night. To Daniel, you revealed your mysteries at night. It happened at midnight. King Belshazzar of Babylon, who became drunk, was slain at night. Daniel interpreted the terrifying dreams of the night. Haman wrote his edicts of hate at night. You achieved your victory in the sleeplessness of night. You will tread the winepress for them that ask, Watchman, what of the night? Like the watchman, may he cry out, The morning has come, even as the night. May the draw near, which is neither day nor night. O God, make it known that yours is the day and also the night. Appoint guards over your city all day and all night. Make bright like the day the darkest of the night. When it seems like things are at their darkest, even in our own lives, that is when the Lord comes to rescue us. When it is dark, we can always trust that God is at work. For God dwells in the darkness, as Solomon said, the Lord has said that he would dwell in a dark cloud. And so, like those in Isaiah 9, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. For those of us who find ourselves in darkness this Christmas, waiting for God to come at midnight, waiting for God to come and redeem, to come and rescue. There is great hope and there is good news. What is hidden now will be revealed, unrolled like a heavenly scroll, as Jesus, our hope and glory, speaks to us in the thick darkness. And just to end with, God is always at work in the darkness. Remember those verses I read at the start from Isaiah 45. I will give you hidden treasures, riches stored in secret places, so that you may know that I am the Lord, the God of Israel, who summons you by name. Jesus is the light who steps into the darkness at Christmas. It is his birth, born in a stable again in the dead of the night. As shepherds living out in the fields nearby keep watch over their flocks at night. And it's his coming, his life, his ministry, his death and resurrection and ascension that we celebrate as we journey through Advent. 
for he is the light. He is the light that, according to John 1, shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And not only has he come and shone the light of his glory and presence onto the whole of humanity to bring his freedom and goodness and mercy and grace, but he's coming again to renew and restore all things. And so as we wait in the darkness, in the now and the not yet of the kingdom, between his first coming and his return, let us never forget that God is at work in the darkness. God is always present. He's always near, always drawing us closer to him, always bringing us into the glory of his presence. It's in the darkness that there are hidden treasures, riches stored in secret places, so that each and every one of us may know that he is the Lord, the one who summons you and me by name. I just feel the unction of the Spirit to just say that last, second to last paragraph again. Let us never forget when we look at the world and what's going on there that God is at work in the darkness. God is always present. He's always near. He's always drawing us closer to him. Always bringing us into the glory of his presence. It's in the darkness that there are hidden treasures for all, riches stored in secret places that each and every one of us may know that he is the Lord, the one, the one, the godly, the one we can trust who summons each of us by our name. Let's take the Lord's Supper together. Why don't you stand?